Hello, 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 and welcome back to the SLP Corner Podcast. This is the final part three of Carry On the Podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and based on your DMs and your messages, it really seems like you are enjoying it. She has so much to share and just so many good tips that are so helpful and so useful. I've already implemented so much that she's taught me. I know you guys have too because I've already gotten some messages and some stories about it, so I'm really happy that you guys have loved Carrie just as much as I do. Today, we're going to be talking all about feedback for students. Before we dive into that, it would mean the world to me if you could rate and review the podcast. I see your reviews and it really, really means a lot to see what you guys are enjoying about it, what you like, what I should do more of. So if you have the time, you can just quickly pause the podcast, rate and review. That would mean so much. Thank you guys so much and enjoy the show. We're going to get into feedback. So I've learned so much in this realm from you, Carrie, like the feedback. And this is some stuff I've even shared in my story. I remember I shared like my mentor taught me to like have the kid be the teacher. (laughs) And this is something I've used so much that you taught me that I've used from not just even articulation, like other goals too, and other things too, just switching that power dynamic. So we're going to get into feedback and then we already talked a little bit about that one. I don't know which one you want to start with, but I want to hear some of your ideas for feedback for students because I just love your ideas. And I feel like feedback is such an important part of any therapy process is the feedback, let alone articulation, whichever ones you want to start with. When we're talking about shaping strategies, right? One of the things I probably said over and over again was to be specific, right? So if you're giving kids cues, you're specific on what you're giving them, whether it's for placement or manner, you try to get them, you know, give them ideas that are going to be specific, that are going to get them to achieve what you want them to. I think the same goes for feedback. So if you're giving praise, be specific about your praise. So, you know, wow, I love how you were biting and blowing for that sound. You said fish and you used your teeth to bite on your lower lip. Like it sounds, you know, that might be a little bit too much language for a younger kid, but you know, wow, you know, great sticking your tongue out at me. You know, I like how you lifted your tongue for L. So I find that the more specific you are on what kids are doing right then the more apt they are to continue to do the things you want them to do. So it's the whole philosophy of catch them doing good, right? Catch them doing what you want them to do. Give them lots of praise and positive feedback for that. And they're going to keep repeating that, you know? So that's very helpful too, as far as the, the cueing. Now for correcting errors in speech, I mean, it, it sort of, I find it depends on the kids. Some kids are very okay with you doing a lot of consistent, frequent feedback, you know, I didn't hear your sound or, you know, uh, I saw that you're trying to make the er sound in red, but it didn't, I didn't hear your growl. So that type of feedback, I think is important. I also think that you can over cue and it overwhelms kids too. You know, they, they feel like they're being corrected constantly. And that's why, you know, uh, probably a good segue into being the teacher, right? Kids are constantly told, what they're not doing right, (laughs) because that's what we're working on. We're working on things that kids are having difficulty doing. So we do have to correct them and we do have to give them feedback and cues. But I think it's nice for kids to switch roles with you too. So I'll say to them, you know what, you've been practicing your 
her sound so great. I think it's time for you to be the teacher and to tell me what you think I'm doing right and what I can work on better. So I, I don't often, you know, tell them that they're doing something wrong. I tell them that, you know, I hear your sound, but I didn't hear what you need to do to make it better. You know, that type of thing. Or I heard a wuh sound, not a er sound. Let's try that again. And so I, I try to stay away from a lot of negative feedback, you know, and because I, I just find you want to build their confidence, right? You want them to be confident speech, you know, articulation users, right? You don't want them to, you know, be reluctant to try a sound because they're afraid they're going to get it wrong. Plus, you know, it's okay to get something wrong. It's okay to make a mistake. And so to hear, you know, when they get to be the teacher, you know, they can, you know, be thumbs up or thumbs down, right? I'll say, okay, you know, here's my words. I'm going to show you the word and I'll say it. If you think I made a, a, a really good sound, you give me a thumbs up. If you think it wasn't as good as it could be, then I want you to give me a thumbs down. Uh, I've also used rating scales, you know, to, I want you to rate my sound from one to five. One means, you know what, I didn't use my sound at all. And five, wow, that was, you know, as perfect as it could be, you know. And so getting them to rate me makes them feel more comfortable about rating themselves because I will have them use rating skills for themselves as well to help them be a little bit more self-aware. So that I find, you know, it has worked really well. Recording speech, I think I mentioned it with R. I find it less helpful with S because it's hard. The feedback's hard, you know, with the auditory feedback, I find the just it live feedback for S seems to be helpful, but having kids record themselves reading something and then listening back and in just kind of giving a general sense of what their intelligibility is, you know, or having a mom or dad listen to it and get the feedback has been really helpful. Some kids don't like to record themselves uh, and they get very nervous or very self-conscious in doing so. So it depends on the kid. Um, I have had some kids who are just like superstars. They want to do everything possible they can to hear their own sounds so that they can make them better. So it just really does depend on your client. Um, you know, younger kids like to record themselves, but they more do it because they think it's funny. <laughs> you know, they, th they think it sounds cool. It's silly. And so I, I'm not sure how effective it is for feedback. I do find it a little bit more helpful with older kids uh, to record uh, their speech sounds or, you know, them saying, you know, 20 target words, whatever it is. So, uh, but, you know, you can do it and, you know, play it back and, and then erase it, you know, like there, there's so many apps now you can put on your phone to record yourself and, you know, just listen back and then delete it. And so, yeah, so I, I praise be specific, don't over cue and, but some kids will be more receptive, you know, but one of the things that I, I will tell parents too, is it's okay to blame Carrie. <laughs> I tell them that I said, so if you find that, you know, your child's getting a little frustrated, you know, I didn't hear your sound. You can say, wow, you're really trying to use that sound that Carrie's teaching you or, oh, don't forget to use Carrie's sound. Remember that sound, you know? Uh, so I, I, I take the blame for that too. Or if I can't understand something, I'll say, you know what, Carrie's ears didn't hear you really well that sound. Could you try it for me again? And so it, it doesn't place blame on them, but it, it, it sort of shoulders it on me and it makes them feel a little bit more confident about trying it again. So I will do that as well. Those are the things I find that are most helpful and using mirrors if you can, if you need to, like so kids can see placement. If, you, if you're working with a visual sound is really helpful. We talked about that, but 
that whole idea of switching roles, like Shannon said, it, it works well for articulation therapy, but it works so well for a whole bunch of different things, right? I mean, you know, kids like to hear adults make mistakes. They And it's a good social lesson to learn. Everybody makes mistakes, you know? Everybody has to work hard at a lot of different things, you know, and, and it gives kids a little bit more confidence too when they're practicing something to know that it's not just them that's making all the errors that somebody else can as well, you know. Um, one thing I like to do too for sounds, and I, I didn't mention this earlier, it's, it's less cueing and more feedback is I will raise all 10 of my fingers if we've started a sound and I'll say, knock my fingers down with your sound. And so, you know, they, you know, I put my fingers down as they say their sounds. I do that sometimes as a quick warm up before I work on a sound. Um, and, you know, if I don't hear the sound, my finger stays up, right? And so they get that feedback from the finger, that visual feedback that, oh, Carrie's finger's still up, maybe I missed it, you know? And so that's something that can be helpful as well. So, uh, or I even put finger puppets on my fingers, you know, and they pull the finger puppets off as they make the sound. And so you can, the, the key is to make it fun, you know, like if kids don't think they're working on something, if they're having fun while they're doing it, then they're going to be more inclined to want to practice a little more, you know, but, but you don't have to make it complicated either. You can keep it really simple. I think sometimes, you know, I remember as a keen young SLP, I went through thinking about all these really detailed, you know, strategies and detailed activities that I had. And more often than not, I found myself when I simplified things and I took a step back, it was way more impactful and way more effective for kids. Thank you so much, Carrie. I love your approach to errors. It reminds me of when I had my mom on the podcast and my mom was talking about how she tries not to say the word no when she can avoid it because it can be really upsetting for like very little kids. And so she'll instead say yes, later, yes, and yes, but yes, first. And I like how you do that too. In a way, it's similar. It's a similar theme where when a child makes an error, instead of being like, no, <laughs> or uh, no, that's wrong, you're more like telling them the positive or you're just being neutral where it's like, oh, I heard of this or, oh, almost, or, oh, like, I just like all the ideas you just walked through with that because it's, it's the same theme of when you're working with little kids, it's like them becoming discouraged and insecure is not really going to help the learning process. So no, and they're, and they're not going to want to work on something that they don't find a fun or B that they're having some success at. And so, and, and that's, you know, kind of ties into how you choose your targets too, you know, that's all another podcast it's in itself, you know, you choose targets and which ones do you choose? Those seven targets that we talked about are very common articulation errors. There are sounds that SLPs can say, I work a lot on those ones, you know, and obviously there's others, right? I mean, there's a ton of sounds that we work on, but those seven I find are so frequent and that's where I've sort of developed those shaping strategies for. But I also think too, like you have to ask yourself, which one should I work on? What's going to have the most impact? Is it stimulable? If it's not stimulable, is there a good reason why I should work on it anyway? And, you know, you might start on a target and you might try some of those shaping strategies that I mentioned and nothing's working. And so it's okay to let it go because you don't want them frustrated. And, you know, frankly, as a clinician, you be can become frustrated if you feel like you're not being helpful, right? And so it's okay to let it go and come back to it. You know, it's, you know, we do that when we're working phonology from a phonology perspective, right? You know, traditionally with articulation, we kind of start with the sound and we try and get it to a certain consistency level before we move on. But often when we're working with phonological patterns, we, we do it a little differently too. So it depends on your kid depends on what you're trying to accomplish. You have to ask yourself, is this 
functional for the child. Maybe the sound is in their name and it's really important for their parent, even though it's a later developing sound and they're four years old and their their little girl's name is Shay and their mom wants them to say Shay. So you might work on SH with a three or four year old that you wouldn't normally do it, but you do it because it's important for that particular child. There's lots of reasons to kind of go in the direction you're going and it's okay to change directions and to turn yourself around and start again. Yeah. I, I mean, you've um, given me that advice before with like just changing directions and switching things up and it's made a huge impact on the outcomes of my therapy as well. So I really like that you just shared that with everyone as well. And the puppet thing, I, I've done that a few times now because you told me about that one too. And kids love it. Little ideas to make it more enjoyable. Sticking stickers on the ends of your fingers and, you know, like putting paint on or, you know, there's all kinds of things you can do and it doesn't have to be complicated. It can just be something quick and easy. Sometimes some really complex ideas work really well too, but I think you just, you have to be, I guess, flexible too. And that's an important thing to remember is that you may decide to work on a target and you may try certain shaping strategies, some that I've mentioned myself that I work on, some that you've come up with on your own, and it, it may not work at all. And so you do have to regroup and, and sometimes changing course, working on a different target gives you an opportunity to think of new ideas when you revisit that sound. And, and it's less, you know, if kids are not having fun, they're not going to be very engaged. They're not going to be motivated to try and you know, I mean, I've had some kids for articulation therapy that we've worked on a lot of sounds and then they get to be a certain age where they're just not motivated anymore. They just, they're done. They've worked on so many sounds. And so I'll say to parents, you know what? It's okay to take a break. You know, they've worked so hard on so many different sounds. If L&R or R&S are still lingering, let's just take a breather. And once it becomes important to them, they're going to come back and work on it and they're going to be more motivated. And with the younger kids, they just, they, they don't really want to think about themselves as working on something. They just want to have fun. All right. So we walked through shaping strategies. We talked about feedback. Thank you so much. And just like background information for everyone listening before this, Carrie sat down with me and talked about, I was having some challenges at work about certain things. And she talked to me for a long time about that and then still came on the podcast. So like, thank you so much, Carrie, for being my mentor and supporting me my first year as a clinician. Like if anyone's wondering how I got a mentor, because I feel like some people might be wondering that if there's any new grads, the Speech and Audiology Canada has a mentorship program, which I think is amazing. I don't know if they have one in the States. I, I don't know. Well, this is my first year doing it. And obviously it's your first year, right? Because you're a first year SLP. So it's been fun. I think we've learned a lot together. I, I have learned as much from Shannon as I hope she's learned from me. So, you know, because I, I and I have to, I must say to close this off, I applaud the students who are doing the graduate program right now. You SLPs, you young, energetic, enthusiastic clinicians who are just starting off their careers in speech pathology amidst a pandemic. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things going on outside of what we do. And I really applaud you guys because you're very enthusiastic about being speech pathologists and we need a lot of that in our profession. You know, it's awesome. So kudos to you. <laughs> That's so sweet. Thank you. That's going to mean a lot to a lot of people because I know, especially grad students with their placements and everything, they're just so stressed out with the pandemic. There's just been so many changes. So thanks for saying yeah. that. I hope to have you back on the podcast because you're just a wealth of knowledge. You have so much information. You really do. And there's just so much that I learn from you each week. I'm just like, 
people need to be hearing this. So what better way than to have our chats on the podcast? I find them so interesting. I love learning from you and hearing your perspective on things. It's just been such a nice addition to my first year as an SLP because it can be very stressful starting off career. So it's nice to be able to have a mentor. I'm just really thankful. So thank you so much. And thanks for coming on. You're very welcome. It's been my pleasure. Okay. All right. So I'll see everybody next Monday.